you got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I, I saw... Um, Something the other day when I went to our kids area, um, the kids at the end of Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, by, on most weeks, they do a review game. So they do a game where kids are competing against each other to see if they can remember what has happened in the weeks before. And they play for points. And the way they set it up downstairs is they play for points all year. So guys versus girls, male versus female, they play all year and they really get into it. And I thought, you know, we ought to do a review game every now and then up here um, or quiz or test whatever you would like to call it um, however you feel about it and so I thought today I'd start with um, a couple of questions and see who can answer them for me so let me just say this I'm just going to look at whose hand I see first um, that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to do and I'm going to call on you and I expect you to answer so this is not one of those things that I call on you and you get shy okay so I'm going to call on you I expect you to answer and then um, we'll see how it goes all right so first question for you who can tell me the basic idea or thought that I preached on last Sunday. Look at those hands flying up. All right, right in the back. I can't hardly see who you are. In the back, what was it? Faith. Authentic faith. All right, you know what we have? We have a McDonald's $5 gift card as a reward for that. All right. Hey, you want to run that? I couldn't see who it was. There it is. All right. Right. You can you can run. It's okay. People say never run in church. It's okay. All right. Second question. All right. And anybody want to guess what the sec the the answer gets you on this one? Christian chicken. All right. That's what we got. It's baptized in uh, pickle juice. All right. Uh, y'all know they put that in there. All right. So we've been talking about the book of Hebrews now for lots of weeks, and almost every week I've told you that the theme of Hebrews. Is somebody want to tell me what it is? Look at those heads. Casey Oliver, look at that hand. What do you got? Jesus is better. Look how hard that was. Great job, Casey. Christian chicken coming your way. All right. Here you go. There it is. All right. Narrowly missed the military man. Sorry about that, Adam. I didn't know you were going to stand up and be kind. All right. So look at that. That was a good throw by me. All right. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be looking today. All right. Now, let me, I want to start by talking about um, a place that I used to go when I grew up. I saw that one of our Sunday school classes, one of our fastest growing Sunday school class, many of you in here are part of that. Um, which is the Bill Towns uh, class, Rick and Deb Baca, and all of them kind of came together, the Towns and the Bacas, to start this class last year. And they had several people yesterday, I believe, go to Patties. Now, I got corrected in the first service because somebody said, it's Miss Patties. They serve a huge pork chop, whatever it is, all right? So they went to Patties. How many of you have ever been to Miss Patties Settlement where they serve the big pork chop, all right? So all that. So that's kind of a special place. People go, Sunday school classes go, outings go. People that um, want to go find it's a kind of a cool place to go. Well, when I was growing up, we didn't go to Patty's because that wasn't kind of our deal. But we had a place that as a family and as Sunday school classes, that was a special place for us to go. You drove about 30 minutes. It was away from Dyersburg where I grew up. We got out of the big city of Dyersburg and went out into the country. And we went to this place. It became a place that became a traditional place for us. 
And so when I was growing up, it became a place that on the um, the weekend before school started that my guy friends and our dads and even the dads of some people that had daughters that were our age would go and eat at this place. And it's this place that has not really a high, it's not a, it's not a fine dining eating establishment. It just has greasy fried good food. All right. Name of it is Boyette's. All right. So I got a picture of Boyette's. Man, doesn't that look like a fine eating establishment there? How many of you have ever been to Boyette's to eat? All right. We got a couple of people. All right. Boyette's. Boyette's serves catfish and other stuff. But their big thing is an all you can eat catfish family style dinner. So they bring out all this stuff. I can't hardly even look at this plate this close to lunch, all right? I get to salivating, all right? So they bring out this stuff. It is catfish perfectly fried. It's moist and juicy on the inside. It's crisp on the outside. They got slaw, which why would you uh, spend your time on slaw when you got the other stuff going on here? Fried apples that are amazing. French fries that are really good. Onion rings that are thin and crispy and just Great, all right? And the hush puppies have that little touch of sweetness that makes you want to keep going back for more and more. And I'm just going to tell you, my guy friends and our dads would put a hurtin' on Boyette's once a year. It was a big-time deal for us. Now, here's what is also cool about Boyette's. And anytime recently, over the last few years I've gone to Boyette's, we always walk across the street. Does anybody know what is across the street from Boyette's? Real Foot Lake, all right? It's not Krispy Kreme. It's not that good, all right? Real Foot Lake. All right, we got a picture of Real Foot Lake. Now, Real Foot Lake has this unique place in America because since America became a country, it is the only lake of that size that has been formed naturally. It's the only lake that wasn't made by man that is that size since we settled this country. Now, some of you know this from history. Some of you hopefully have learned this in Tennessee history. Some of you have no clue about this. What caused Real Foot Lake to form? An earthquake, all right? And so there was this earthquake on December 6th, 1811. That was a significant earthquake. Still the largest recorded earthquake east of the Mississippi in the history of of the country. That day, two earthquakes hit. The initial and an aftershock that was almost as big. Somewhere, both of them were between a 7.6 and a 7.9 on the Richter scale. Now, I don't know if you know the Richter scale. I don't, but that's bad. All right. For instance, how many of you remember the San Francisco earthquake like in the late um, 1980s that, that disrupted the World Series and all that? That was a 6.9. And on the Richter scale, my understanding is when you go up a point, you go up like a thousand times greater. And so you're talking about a significant earthquake. What would happen or what did happen with Real Foot Lake that is just fascinating to me is this is up near where the Mississippi River goes up through on the um, when I, I grew up about 15 miles from where the Mississippi River is. Mississippi River goes up and where Kentucky and Tennessee kind of join right there. The epicenter was in New Bradford, Missouri, and it was so impactful. They felt it, by the way, like northern Canada. They felt this earthquake. It was so impactful that what happened is at Real Foot Lake, the land sunk. And the Mississippi River ran backwards from the impact of the earthquake and filled the land and formed this lake. It's a cool place now. 
I mean, it's got, you can see it's kind of a different, like they've got piers that go out into the middle of it. They have eagles that come and they have nesting eagles. They've got eagles that, were, that they found that are injured, that they're trying to nurse back to health. And so literally there's a place where you can go see a bald eagle every time you go right there. But when I grew up in West Tennessee, we grew up in fear of earthquakes. Because they kept saying a major earthquake happens every 150 years in this area. This happened in 1811. 150 years had passed. And they kept saying any day it could happen. You know how you do tornado drills in school or you do fire drills in school? We did earthquake drills in school. And here's what's difficult, especially about earthquakes. You never know when they're coming. Like, they can have maybe a little sign that something's going to happen. I saw yesterday that there was an earthquake in Knoxville. It's completely surprised people. It wasn't a significant one, but it was, it happened. Like, you don't know what's coming. Can you imagine how frightening it was for the people in New Madrid, Missouri, and all around that area when it, the earth began to shake? I mean, you think about how that would be with just about any kind of natural event. One of the things that we take for granted is that we know when most of the natural disasters or natural events are going to hit. Doesn't mean we prepare for them well, may not get full notice, but we get some sort of notice it could be coming. How many of you watched the eclipse? Right? I kind of joked about it a little bit, but I mean, it was cool, right? Like, cool. Awesome. Can you imagine if you hadn't known it was coming and it just happened? Like, I'm sitting there with my phone app telling me, you know, 20 minutes till totality. Start to watch ambient temperature, right? I mean, they had it, because of where I was standing, they told me to the minute when it was going to happen. Can you imagine being out in the field working one day and what happened there, like at 1.30 in the afternoon just happened? The sky turned dark, you looked up the sun, it has this fireball around it. Earthquakes are about the only thing that we are not becoming good at predicting when it comes to natural stuff. It's scary. And so I grew up my entire life thinking that Dyersburg, I mean, we would hear things sometimes. If you're not careful, Dyersburg could be the next Real Foot Lake. Well, now that doesn't good good for a seven-year-old. Right? Well, like, I don't want to live in a Real Foot Lake. That's not where I, I like going there to eat at Bullets, but I want to live there, right? Because they're unpredictable. The people of Israel had a relationship with earthquakes that was about fear and distance. When Moses received on Mount Sinai the covenant of God, it says that there were thunders all around, there were things flashing all around. But then it also says, and the earth shook violently. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook Violently. Now, there are lots of people saying, well, what's really going on there? Well, a, a, a kind of a geological understanding of that is that when God's glory descended upon the mountain, the earth shook, also called an earthquake. There was the part in Numbers when a group of guys tried to betray the people of Israel and went against what God had decided and what God had told them. And when that happened, it said that the earth opened up and swallowed them. For the people of Israel, earthquakes had always been about God's judgment. That God was judging his people, that God was judging the nation, that God was judging in some way. And yet in Hebrews chapter 12, the author is going to remind the people that things are different now. 
Now, we approach God, we don't have to think of an earthquake. We don't have to think of something that is destructive. We can think of grace and mercy and hope and joy. The whole point of this book has been that Jesus is better, that we are not to give up because Jesus is better. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start reading in verse 15. Make sure, verse 15 says, that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. We're going to stay there for just a second. We can go back. Because I want us to focus on this phrase, no one falls short. What he's saying to them is, listen, my goal in Hebrews, in fact, many people think Hebrews is just one long sermon. Okay, I know you all think I preach long sometimes. This is one long sermon. As we get to chapter 12 and chapter 13, he's wrapping it up. He's bringing it together. He's finishing up. He's putting a bow on the end of it. He's getting it all wrapped up into one place. He's going to give some application. But he wants them to understand, I'm telling you this. I'm writing about this. I've talked about Jesus being better than Moses, being better than Abraham, being better than the covenant, being better than Melchizedek, being better than the angels, being better than Joshua, being better than anything you can't imagine. I've talked about that because I don't want any of you to fall short Of the grace of God. I want you all to be a part of God's family. I want you all to be a part of God's kingdom. He's saying, I'm writing this not to judge you, not to make you feel bad. I'm writing this so you'll make the proper right choice. That no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. Next verse. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. We're going to talk about Esau a little bit more in just a minute. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of question about Hebrews. Are they saying that if you reject God, that you can never Ask him for forgiveness again. You can never ask for salvation again. That this is a one-time deal. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that you have been given opportunity through Jesus Christ, through his blood, to accept forgiveness and grace and mercy. And like Esau, who gave up his portion of the birthright for a meal that would go away quickly, if you give up on following Jesus or decide not to follow Jesus because of what it could cost you on this earth, you are making a mistake because where else are you going to find salvation in this world other than Jesus? The point the writer of Hebrews is saying is, the decision you're making is not Jesus or some other way. There is no other way. What he's saying is, if you choose not to believe and walk in faith with Jesus, then you have chosen not to find salvation, like Esau, who wanted it some other way and could not find it. He didn't find any opportunity for repentance. It's a sermon. He's coming to the end and he's saying, choose this day whom you will serve. Will you follow Jesus or will you go after the old stuff? And then he gives a comparison to them in case they still don't understand it. For you have not, have not's the key there, 
Come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of the trumpet and the sound of the words. He says, listen, you did not come to this place where people are going to come and they are so scared of God, so worried about God. They see the blazing fire. They see the earth going trembling. They see the darkness and the gloom and the storm and the trumpets that are heralding that God's glory is coming. So be afraid. Be very afraid. Get on your guard. The sound of the words of the Lord struck fear in the hearts of men. He says that is not what this is about. He said, if you want to go back to Sinai, if you want to go back to the Old Covenant, if you want to go back to your life of trying to make it on your own, of trying to atone for your own sins, of trying to make sure you get every I dotted and T crossed, that's what you're going back to, where you are scared to approach God, where you are fearful of God, where you stand back from God. He says, don't forget those people. Those who heard that, those who lived that, those that were at Sinai, those were the people that received the law, begged that God wouldn't speak another word because they couldn't bear it. I mean, even that says, and this is directly from Exodus chapter 19, if an animal touches the mountain where God had descended, it must be stoned and killed. The next verse says, the appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now, I know that's not a big impact on us when we read it and go, oh, okay, Moses was a little scared. The people of Israel thought of Moses as the bravest man who had ever lived. He was their men of all men. The one that would do anything the Lord commanded and go and fight. And it says, even Moses was trembling in fear. I don't know who that would be today. I don't know if it's Chuck Norris that is... Trembling in fear or we all have that guy like when we're growing up that we think, man, that guy is tough and never afraid of anything. When I was growing up, I had a guy, neighbor down the street named Wayne Petty. Wayne Petty was a guy that was worked at Colonial Rubber Warber Works in the like in the factory, was a um, a mover on the weekends, would move people on the weekends and was also a professional wrestler on the weekends. Would drive to Memphis and fight Jerry the King Lawler on TV on the weekends. He was the coolest guy I knew, right? Remember one week he got burned in a wrestling match in Memphis and I went down to his house the next, the next week and, um, I mean the next day and he was like mowing the yard and I said, what happened? He goes, oh, they have a special bomb for people that get burned in wrestling. That's when I still thought wrestling was real, you know? Sorry if you don't know that it's not real, but it's like I still thought that. He was like the toughest guy I knew. He and his brother came to move us one time, and they literally fully stocked fridge, picked it up, and walked out with it. And I was like, well, at least that's how I remember it. I'm not sure that's exactly what happened, but like he was like the toughest guy I knew. Moses was that to them. He was the guy that would pick up a refrigerator fully stocked and just walk out with it. Like Moses was scared. And he's saying, the point is, why do you want to go back there? Where you're scared of God all the time. Remember, this is written to a group of people that were wondering whether it was better just to follow the Jewish way or to follow after Jesus. He says, why would you want to go back? Because then he tells them what they have been called to. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. To myriads of angels, a festive gathering. To the assembly of the firstborn whose name have been written in heaven. 
It continues. To a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. What he says there is this. Listen, we have not been called to a mountain that is physical, that we can see, but that God's glory descended upon and made everyone around there terrified to even come close to God. We have been invited to the celebration that is kicked off by Jesus giving his life on the cross for us and as a result we have eternal life with God. The scene that is described here is, I know you just read it, you're like, okay, that sounds cool. It is a scene in the original language that is a partay going on. I mean, in fact, some scholars think that when it talks about the angels, it says that they are angels adorned in their party clothes. Now, I do not know what angels' party clothes look like, but I am sure it is spectacular. All right? And they are having a party. Can I just be real honest with you? There are going to be a whole lot of Christians and a whole lot of Baptists that are going to get to heaven and be uncomfortable with how amazing the party is in heaven. Amen? It is... Unbelievable. They're celebrating because they've been set free. This is the contrast he sets up. You want to go back? You want to live in a place where you got to dot your I's and cross your T's and make sure everything is just right? And once a year, you maybe get it right and you're cleansed for like 30 seconds? Or do you want to go to a place where the blood has been shed, where the Christ has offered himself for you, and you are free to be able to do whatever God commands you to do? We showed the video of Dave Ramsey earlier. He talked about financial peace. There are times when I'm out on Fridays that I'll just turn on Dave Ramsey's radio show. Because Fridays is when they do the debt-free screen. And they always play that clip from Braveheart that is completely out of context for the debt-free screen. But it doesn't matter because when they play that from Braveheart, I get pumped wherever I am. Right? The freedom! Like yelling, guttural. And they say things like these people up here, they didn't show the scream on there, but they'll say things that are just mind-boggling. We paid off in 18 months $230,000 worth of debt. Those of you who listen to the show, what do they do after that? They scream. Like this guttural, ah! Their voice cracks sometimes even there too. It's from the depth of their soul. And he says... What you've been invited to is to be someone who joins in a party of people that are doing that continuously because of the joy that God has given them. And don't you want to be a part of that? He goes on to say this. See to it. <laughs> Basically he says, why in the world would you reject that? See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him, we warned them on earth. Listen, if he punished them when they rejected him as the covenant from Sinai for earthly law came, how much more is he going to punish for turning away from the eternal one? Even less will we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. We're not getting away with it if we decide not to follow him. Next verse. His voice shook the earth at that time. There's that reference to the earthquake. But now he has promised. Once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. He said a shaking is coming that has never been before. I saw somebody tweet this week. If um, people freaked out when 
The sun got covered up by the moon. Imagine what's going to happen when the son of God returns with the army of the angels and those that have been bought with his blood and returns to take his bride home. He's coming again. This expression yet once more indicates that when he comes, there will be the removal of what can be shaken. Anything that's not based on Christ, anything in your life that is not founded in him will be shaken away. So that what is not shaken might remain. And then he says this to finish up. Therefore, since we, we, those of us that have believed in Jesus, those of us that have committed our lives to him, are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful By it we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now I want to end today with just asking you three questions, because the point of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than anything you can have, anything you can put your faith in. And he tells us here in the end again, listen, I am talking about an unshakable city. Now to them, the word city meant something of permanence. It meant something of security. It meant something that they could trust in. It meant something that they could depend on. He talks in the book of Hebrews about searching for a kingdom, searching for a city. They come from a place where they have been nomads in the wilderness. And it says that they ended up in a place, Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, which literally means a city of peace. He's saying you're searching for a place in Zion where you can be at peace, where you can be secure, where you can be whole. And I want to tell you about an unshakable kingdom, an unshakable city. And so my question for you today, right off the top, is simply this. What is your city in life? What are you looking to for security? What are you looking to for permanence? Is it a degree? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it marriage? Is it a bank account? Is it your winsome personality or a relationship that you think keeps you going? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it a career? What is it in your life that you are putting your faith, your hope, your security in. Because Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that there is coming a day. There is a day coming sooner rather than later when we will have everything in our lives shaken. Now the truth is we're going to have many earthquakes. We're going to have precursors to the big shaking throughout our lives. But there's coming a day when it will be revealed what you have placed your trust in. And the second question I have today is not just what is your city, but secondly, what is shaking you? What is it in your life right now that is shaking you? In this passage, he gives two warnings. First of all, he talks about the fact that things are going to be shaken. Not only the earth, but also the heavens. There are two ways that you can shake things. Sometimes you can shake things just to make it more exciting, like right before you open a mountain dew. But the other is a shaking like an earthquake where everything without a solid foundation falls apart. Right after we came here, um, we came in 2007, right after we came in 2008 is when the stock market crashed. It happened um, early in 2008, March, April of 2008. I know that because we bought a house in January, February of 2008 at the height of the market and then the market crashed. And I remember coming and being part of this church. And when I came, at the time I came in this church, the economy around here, the economy in the United States, everything seemed to be going great. Everything was good. Offerings were good. And then that came in the spring of 2008. And, whoo, it went. 
People got laid off. Jobs got lost. We started talking about how do we find places to go? Where do we need to go? I talked and counseled with people that were looking for jobs, that had jobs that they had had for years that suddenly weren't needed or couldn't be sustained anymore. Offerings went down at the church because, um, first of all, the new guy was not new anymore and some people didn't like him and they left. And then also, people just didn't have as much to give. I remember the horrendous stories of people in that time that had their lives so shaken that they ended it. The chief financial officer at Freddie Mac, the federal home loan mortgage company, hung himself in the basement of his house. A French money manager that lost $1.4 billion of his client's money ended his life by cutting his wrist. And the senior executive of the HSBC Bank hanged himself in the wardrobe of his $750 a night suite in London. There are going to come times in our lives when the earth is going to come out from under us. You've got it in your career or your finances or things that will not last. It leaves you with nothing. You get a diagnosis of cancer. Something terminal. It leads us to the ultimate shaking that is death. I mean, Luke 12 tells the story of a man who had truly nothing to worry about. His business was going so well, the only problem he had were that the buildings and the barns and the silos he had could not fit all of his stuff. And so he kept wondering, can I build more? Can I do more? And when he dies, Jesus says, you fool, because tonight you die and all that matters now is your soul. And none of what you have can save you. The second warning is not only that the earth will shake, but he says our God is consuming fire. And the whole picture there is that God is going to burn up everything in our lives that is not of him. That when we get to heaven, we're going to look back at the trail of things we thought was important that were not attached to God and his purposes in the world. And they're going to be a pile of ashes. And the truth is, there are some of you in this room right now that are being shaken. It may not be big things in your life. It may be that you've allowed division to come into your life and you're seeking peace, but you're not finding peace because you don't have peace with your neighbor. You become bitter towards them. This passage talks about that. Maybe it is that you've got worldliness in your life. It says that you were to pursue holiness and you're too concerned about what the things of the world are and what the world thinks and what you can get here. It says that we're to pursue holiness. That we're to be different, that we're to be set apart. The word pursue there means to track it down, to go after it. And some of you are not tracking it down. You're not going after it. Charles Spurgeon says that you never gain holiness by standing still. No one ever grew holy without agonizing to be holy. Sin will grow in your life without sowing it, but holiness needs work. Follow it. It will never run after you. Pursue it with determination, eagerness, and perseverance as a hunter pursues prey. What's shaking you right now? Is it just the world around us that we've gotten too involved in the things of this world that don't matter and the eternal significance of God? Or is it your desires? The story of Esau, right? He sold his birthright for what? Pot of stew. For nothing. Gave away. And I can't help but think of the number of people in our world today, Christians, non-Christians, that are sacrificing eternal rewards for something here and now that will not make a difference in 30 minutes. And here's the third question. Will you trust in the only unshakable city? Because Jesus is the unshakable city. 
Will you trust in him? Can I tell you that God right now is trying to wake some of you up to the reality that you haven't placed your hope and your trust and your dependence upon him? You're like a child that cannot wake up from a nap, being shaken and shaken, pushed and pushed, cajoled, cajoled, talked to and talked to, and you just won't wake up. You're like the adult that hits the snooze button five times on a Monday morning till you realize you got three and a half minutes to get out the door. God is shaking you. In Jesus, you found the security that you would never imagine elsewhere. You found unbounded joy and you have the ability to come into him with intimacy and access to the Father. And then he tells us what we're to do in the midst of all of that. He says that when we realize that in Christ we have an unshakable city, we ought to be thankful for what he's done, be grateful and serve him. You want to know if you've got your trust in Jesus? Where's your gratitude level with him? And are you serving the God who saved you? I mentioned at the beginning that the earthquake for the people of God had always been a sign of God's judgment and of fear. But there's an interesting thing that happens in the New Testament. The earthquake turns from an instrument of God's judgment and fear to a moment of hope and grace. And love. Maybe you remember this, but in the account of Matthew where Jesus is crucified, it says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. My guess is most of you would have, yeah, I remember the curtain being torn in two. How? When the earth quaked and the rocks were split. He goes on to say this. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the son of God. You see, in the New Testament, what happens is on that day when Christ sheds his blood, dies for my sins, dies for your sins, that old Sinai covenant that included God being walled off from his people by a curtain was torn in two by the sacrificial death of Jesus. And the earthquake went from being a symbol of God keeping a distance from his people to God opening up the heavens to those who would believe in Jesus. My question for you is, what is your city? What are you dependent on? What are you trusting in? Let's pray together.